Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Canton III. And if you hear me right now, you can hear a smile from me because I am smiling because I'm so excited to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the James Gunn epic to close out the Guardians trilogy. We're going to talk about it here. We're going to get into it. A lot of emotions, a lot of things to discuss. But first, let me introduce the panel. We have the super producer, Jake Christie, in the house. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. So excited to be talking about a new Marvel release film that I can say unequivocally, I really, really, really love. There you go. There you go. That's perfect. And we do have a special guest with us, a returning guest, actually. You you know his work from The Ringer. He's talking to all these wrestlers. He's talking to Lita. He's talking to Bianca Belair, all, all the people that you need to know. His name is Cameron Hawkins, a.k.a. Seahawk. Cam, welcome back. How you doing, bro? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Thank you so much for having me. This is always super fun. Uh, I love getting on a show and remembering how little it is I know about this stuff and being schooled by the masters. So it's great. Oh, shucks. You're too kind. <laughs> You're way too kind. But I, I appreciate the the well, the well wishes nonetheless. But guys, when I was thinking about after I saw this movie the first time, I said, was I going to take notes for this? Because normally with all these movies and I do the pod, I usually take notes and it's very extensive. I get into the Easter eggs. I go into the heavy details of what matters, what matters going forward in the MCU, all that stuff. This was the first time in a long time. And this is even with something like Infinity War, Endgame, and No Way Home, where I did not think about what was next. I was present. And this felt as the most genuine mcu film that i've seen and i could say that honestly like genuine in its earnest um the emotions the heart like all of it i before i really like go off on a tangent on it because we can talk about this forever um we do customarily go through theater experiences and how people receive the movie going to the theater so cam i'll start with you what was your theater experience like crowd-wise? Where did you go? How was the how was the vibe? Give me give me everything yeah. you got. So it was uh it was Friday night, did the uh the Flix brew house thing. Depending on where you live, it's the equivalent to uh Alamo Draft House. Gotcha. Um did it was late. It was like a 945 showing. Um all the seats were filled. Uh everybody really enjoyed it, man. Everybody really and it's one of those things where you don't get a standing ovation at the end, but I think it's because of how much people enjoyed it. You know, mm-hmm. it brought out the proper emotional response. Um, I had a blast. I really did enjoy like the actual experience. Um, it was it was heavy. It was a very heavy movie, and you don't always get to say that about something that's like a small part of this much larger thing. But yeah, the, the theater experience was important for it because you can't pause it. You can't get up and leave. Like you have to absorb exactly what's going on right there in the moment. It was great. It really no, that was very well said, Jake. How about you, sir? I will just say I want to echo as someone who recently signed up for Regal Unlimited, and I'm going to the movies at least once a week at these points. I went, I, I, I went to the movies three times last week, and I love it because it is such a privilege to be forced to not get up or look at your phone. Honestly, like you just forget, and you make it makes every movie better. Anyway, if anyone else has disposable income and a lot of time, I recommend doing that. But I went on the Thursday night at the Lincoln Center IMAX, which is the biggest IMAX in the Eastern Seaboard, and it is always the best place. I I tried to see any new big movie there. Um, Went with friend of the show, Michael Springthorpe, as customary. There was, of course, a man dressed in a full Star-Lord costume, 
which was great. Um, I don't know if it was the same guy who was dressed as Kang in our Quantumania uh, showing. I think it might. I don't know because I did, the Kang guy mostly had his helmet on, but they were both black guys of about the same height, so it might have been the same guy because <laughs> um, they were the same time too. Uh, anyway, um, but it was a really great showing. It was there was a lot of reaction, but not like the. I think the thing about it is I think so many times when there's big reaction in MCU movies, it can be things that are like kind of like just an uncharitable person would say it's like a baby pointing at a shape that it recognizes. Like some of the cheering during like Multiverse of Madness was the stuff that's not actually that good in the movie. Like where they're just like losing their mind after over all the cameos and stuff. And I'm like, no, like that's fine. Whereas this, the people were losing their mind over stuff that was actually cool and good. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't cheap emotion. Um, and yeah, it, uh, I knew, I mean, I'm the easiest cry in the world. And so I knew I was going to get emotional from this movie, but I was just, it really, it completely worked. And I think that I, I got the vibe that everyone was kind of emotional from it, at least in my theater. And I mean, it's a 600 seat theater. So there are probably 600 people shedding tears, 1200 eyes with water coming out. <laughs> yeah, man. So it, it, it's funny. So my actual theater experience with non-press screening folks was this past weekend, Went to Fresh Meadows, Queens. I went with my brother, and uh, it was a lot of. And I think it's similar to what you guys talked about. It's not your general MCU like whoa type of uh, reaction in the theater, but there were a lot of gasps. There were you you know there were certain hushes during some of those really tense moments, and you really felt the gravity of what this movie was. And I don't think it was something that people expected. Not in that way. You usually expect um, a lot of fun with these Guardians movies. Yes, and there's a lot of heart. But it's a lot of jovial, um, real comedic, and also just the the general vibes of positivity and friendship. But this film went to a lot of dark places. So in seeing that and kind of absorbing that whole theater experience, it, it was cool to see everybody kind of walk out and it seemed like they were thinking about it. They were thinking about what they had just seen and try, trying to actually absorb it, which was kind of how I felt when I saw it the first time. And that's what, to kind of get into general thoughts here, there was a lot of, a lot of absorbing this movie. And I absorb it a lot in, I remember No Way Home and how I absorbed that. And there was a lot of, emotion in that but that emotion was from the nostalgia and a lot of it was the character work of tom holland and some of those special moments that we got there this i absorbed because it felt like what james gunn did here was he kind of made me and i'm and i'm guessing a lot of people too who saw this just equate a lot of the things that happened to these people and rocket and all of the rest to just kind of like life you equate it to life there's a lot of real life stuff in this that i was not expecting at all and it was very powerful so you have all these funny moments that you we can go into and stuff like that but i was just kind of floored by how powerful and dark this movie was at times uh jake how did you receive this movie from uh from a just a general thought standpoint yeah, I think you're spot on with what you're saying about the emotions of it. And I, I think that so much of it is because they're not trying to uh, set up another movie. Like, and, and not to say that these characters, I think that there's a huge misunderstanding with the way franchises are built these days. We're like, 
if a movie is not setting up the next thing, that does not mean that there can't and shouldn't be a sequel to it. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's why there's a certain uh, divisive Star Wars movie that I find the criticism of it that it doesn't have set up the ninth one to be stupid. <laughs> because just because there's not a plot that's still open doesn't mean that there can't be a sequel. That's something that's very annoying to me. And I think that so much of what's been unsatisfying about some of the movies of late in Marvel, particularly something like Quantumania, is that, like, if the entire movie is predicated on another thing being set up, you and you can't finish emotional arcs. You just because you're spending all this time on this, and so I think the fact that James Gunn went into this knowing that this would be the final Guardians film for him, that these characters, that whatever he had to say with these characters, this is going to be the last time he's going to be able to say it, and I think that he wanted to use he. He treats these characters incredibly seriously, even if the movie way he makes movies is not like he does a lot of silly shit. But I think he has absolutely no patience for writing these characters any less full than you would a character in any other type of movie. Like I was listening to an interview with him talking about Rocket Raccoon and how he came to be such a central character. And when, cause apparently they wanted rocket raccoon in guardians of the galaxy when he was pitching for it. And he thought that was kind of silly. He's like, a talking raccoon. And rather than be like, okay, I'll whatever. I'll make a talking raccoon. He thought to himself, okay, if I'm going to have a talking raccoon in my movie, I would think about how would they actually make a talking raccoon? What would cause that? And if we talk about what would cause that, I'm going to take that as seriously as if it was real. Mm-hmm. Like, what would make a raccoon a talking raccoon? They would have to have crazy experiments on them. And that's not something we're in a hand wave way, because that would be a horrible thing. And that would define the entire character. And I think that all of these things, that his ability to take inc- on their surface dumb and like, or like out there sci fi ideas or concepts and say, like, no, we're going to treat these characters as if they were actual people reacting to this like that bit with the quill and gamora storyline like it kind of becomes almost a metaphor for someone you once loved who no longer is in love with you because they're treating it seriously they're treating it human it's they're actually not actually leaning into the sci-fi of it they're leaning into the humanity of it that they actually don't spend that much time you don't really learn the specifics of what the high evolutionary does to rocket because that's not what's important what's important is we all can understand someone being manipulated or abused by their creator or like a father figure to them how what that would do and so rather than be like talking about what he did with the brain and the science of it no no no, that's not the emotional truth the emotional truth is it's basically an allegory for an abusive parent or an abusive upbringing and i think that his ability to see that that's the truth of the stories is what makes these movies special this is this is why these i I would say that the guardians movies definitely have the highest approval rating among mcu haters and i think it's because they're the ones that beat the martin scorsese theme park allegations the most because they're (laughs) undeniably our human stories at the center of them yes yes i i couldn't have said that any better cam how about you like general thoughts about the movie i guess how how it landed with you overall yeah no I, i agree with jake on so much i think the biggest thing that ties that unit together um, is that feeling of not being good enough and being cast aside, you know, with, uh, with Peter specifically, if you look at his arc, you know, he's, he's torn away from relationships often. Like that's how we're introduced to him as being torn away from his family. And, you know, as he finally gets his team, his family in order, like not only does he, you know, lose Gamora, but then he almost gives away the universe on behalf of Gamora only to ultimately have her gone, but also at arm's length. Like yeah. it's rough, right? Um, you know, you look at Drex, you know, family taken from him, you know, doing his best to fit in. Um, 
you look at Nebula, who is like they could have easily not had her as part of the team. Yep. Like they could have very easily written uh in game totally different to not have her matter so much in the grand scheme of You know what's a crazy fact I actually learned on a podcast just to just to hammer this home? When the original schedule was being made for Guardians One, Karen Gillan was supposed to be in the film for eight days. Then they ended up making a role bigger in Guardians 1. Then they brought it back for Guardians. So think about it. There was a character that was supposed to be on set for eight days. And now yeah. she's like, oh, just as much of a member as anyone else. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, they 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 have this amazing way of, of making relationships matter. Like not just feel good, but you understand how everybody got to the point where they're important to one another and really rely on one another. Like you're not going to see anything. And I don't want to jump around too much, but... Sure. Um, if you've played like the Guardians game, uh, it's one of the best video game, mm -hmm. like comic adaptations, period. And specifically, it's because even though you have Peter as the central character, it's really about making these acts function as a team. And so you get that shot of them like in the one corridor, just taking everybody out and you see like just how in sync they are with each other, how much they rely on each other. Um, yeah, it, it is, it is a very emotional movie in that, um, you understand what relationships produced, who these people are now, why they're close, why they're standoffish, why they walk away like in times of peril and in times of conflict. Uh, yeah, man, it just, it, it, like you said, it, it's so human and it's so relatable in a way that so few like action movies, let alone comic movies can be. Yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. And I think the, fun, the, the funny thing is you mentioned the whole in sync thing and it also got me into thinking about the idea of codependency when it comes to friendship sometimes and how this movie takes a real examination on that. And it's funny to think that in all walks of life, and I'm sure we've all gone through it when it comes to friendship, is there are certain times where, you know, we're good friends for this amount of time, but stuff changes, people, you know, move on and people leave and people change people change as they as they grow and and this movie took a real examination over the entire time that we've seen this team together and ultimately what we see later you know brings them uh to a point where a bunch of them decide to go off on their own different directions which you know we'll get into more later but i thought that that codependency thing was really interesting and there's a couple of scenes that kind of hit that to a T, but I want to start with the central figure of this movie. And that's uh, rocket raccoon. This is his story as James Gunn has said a lot in a lot of his interviews that we got these flashbacks with the experiments, the high evolutionary, uh, his friends, Lila floor and teeth and whoa, whoa, whoa. it's teeth. The teeth. Oh, sorry. Tino teeth. T E E F S. Shout out to next man. What? Yeah, I, when you when you look at or you know Rocket as a youngin just trying to you know figure it out and and he's so kind of like when he starts and then he's introduced to Lila and the rest he looks so scared and just the welcoming arms of not only Lila but Floor and Teefs and that it's good to have friends and that whole thing was just a beautiful beautiful part of this movie only to see it ripped away at some point 
uh, later in the film by the high evolutionary. We'll get to him a little bit later. There's a lot to talk about there. But Rocket being the central figure of this story was a very fascinating place to take this. And, and ultimately, it was the perfect place to take this because in a lot of ways, him being this discarded, kind of broken figure, but somebody with a lot of ability and a lot of uh, a lot of just just pure like whatever you want to call it. The reason why he's so rageful that we've seen in all these other movies and all these other things, the kind of little ticks that he has about has about extra body parts and Bucky's arm and all that other stuff. You learn why, and I think that was beautiful storytelling. So. Cam, tell me what you thought about Rocket and and everything that went on with him in this movie. It's you you feel like a real cynic, but you're also just being a realist. You know where it's going. Like you know there's a reason we don't see Florentice and Lila. Like ever. And it's just oh, you feel it coming. It's like watching up. I, you know, you're just like, oh, this is not gonna. Like, like, like his wife's not in any of the shots in the previews. This is gonna. Oh no! Um, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, it was beautiful. Like, like beautiful and sad. And you know, like think about a movie like Ted with uh, who's that? Seth MacFarlane. Do I have and to? Mark Wahlberg. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> that's a movie that's about a CGI character interacting with the world. Guardians Three does not feel like. No. Like we, I, we spent I, I, so much, yeah. We spent so much time, you know, with Rocket, with mm-hmm. Groot, that like they don't feel extra. Yeah. Like they feel central. We care about what happens to them. Um, the you know, baby Rocket starting to formulate words and interacting with the high evolutionary, and you know, telling him why things work the way they do and why they don't, and just the 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 fear he has of the early angry creations the pride he has of the peaceful ones and uh, you just know he's being used and and you've we've had movies of him feeling discarded and 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 he doesn't you know don't call him a raccoon when he's very obviously a raccoon and oh you just know where it's all coming from and it's so like it's heart-wrenching it really is um and you know the the real beauty in it is that this is not a movie about villain that is going to destroy the universe this is a movie mm-hmm. about villain that hurt my friend yeah. and that's what i'm trying to fix oh it's so it's so personal like it's so intimate and yeah that to me that's why it worked we're not looking for the next extension extension level event we're worried about the thing that's ruining our lives specifically yeah yes. yeah yeah, so, yeah. no nah, yeah. you couldn't have said that any better jake yeah rocket rocket yeah. thoughts I- I just think, and I think what we're talking about with the, we know that the friends, obviously something bad's going to happen to them. And it's like, if this was your first experience with friendship, of course you're going to spend the first two movies resistant to becoming close with people. You know what I mean? And and I've said before, like I, as much as Anthony talks about Iron Man 3 being not good, I talk about Bradley Cooper deserving an honorary Oscar for Rocket Raccoon. I think it is one of the best celebrity voice performances ever, specifically because he is an A-lister and he puts on he, – he does not sound like Bradley Cooper, but he has a fully – full performance. And although obviously a lot of the baby stuff kind of sounds silly because it's pitched up, the line that completely broke me is when he's alive and Nebula, Mantis, and Drax learn that he's alive and – they say someone, one of them says like, we love you so much. We're so glad you're right. Oh, and he like kind of chokes out. He says like, 
then you guys are the real idiots. Like he tries <laughs> to make a joke, but he can't say it without crying. I was in part like I think that that is like the, the triumph of these movies. Obviously, Peter Quill is the main character of them, but like the art that Rocket has gone on is so beautiful because it's not one of those things. The the my favorite moment of the whole movie, honestly, was when they are going uh, planning on escaping the high evolutionary ship at the end, and Mantis mentions that there are children that need to be saved. And unlike all the other superhero movies where the characters have to be conflicted, like, oh, are we going to save ourselves? There is not a moment of hesitation from any of them. Besides and that's why Gamora. I think Gamora <laughs> is not a guardian of the galaxy. This yeah, time. right, right. So, like, right. I just love the fact that in these movies, the guardians of the galaxy are people that, like, they are misfits and, like, they're angry at certain things, but they have a sense of purpose based on being good. And that is the thing that I find fascinating about superheroes is why I love Spider-Man. And frankly, I think it's a thing the MCU could use more of. We don't, I don't need people who are superheroes to act like they're not sure if they should save people, you know? Like, yeah. I just love that they're like, they're all, yeah, they're willing to risk their lives for children because they, the thing that brings them together is the fact that they kind of have nothing else other than each other. And so I just love that whole thing and that, that there is no bit of Rocket being like, you know, I was afraid they're gonna do a bit where Rocket was gonna be like, "No, I can't be on this guy's ship anymore. He might. I'm afraid." No, it's like, no, we gotta do what's right. We gotta get back at this guy. And I think Cam, you're absolutely right about the stakes being small. That it's like, it's it's not like they're it's completely personal because obviously the High Evolutionary is a bad dude and is gonna do a lot of bad things if they don't stop mm-hmm. him. But I, it it's about the love they have for each other. And that once again, it's all unspoken. There is no moment where any of them are like, "Is this worth it to save Rocket?" And that is like beautiful and i think so many other hack screenwriters would be like no we need that tension no the tension is against who they're going against or how tough it's going to be we don't need to pretend like these aren't the closest people to each other this they they all a relationship i really loved and i didn't even think about it this way but him and nebula being close because it's like oh shit they were the two that survived the snap so of course they're gonna be super close to each other like all of this it was just really like it is it is so un- it's so nice to see a movie about friendship that is not about the friendship being tested. If that makes yeah. sense, like it's just a movie about what it's like to be friends. And even and there can be struggles, there can be codependency. Right. They, you might need to leave each other, but at no point are you thinking these people might stop being friends with each other. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Rocket being the central figure in this was it, it, it felt it, it felt important, and I just remember walking out of the theater and being like, man. I was really tearing up over some damn CGI raccoon. I can't believe you, James Gunn. God damn it! Uh, it, was, it, it was so. It was. It was too much for me. That man, that Lila, that Lila death scene, and then when he just loses it over the rest of them getting killed by the High Evolutionary, and then this dude is laughing at him, like he's just laughing at him. And okay, I. I originally was going to go a little bit around the Guardians, but since we're talking about the High Evolutionary, let's talk talk about him real quick. I do want to I do want to say this right fast, right fast. Thinking about it in retrospect after seeing this movie a couple of times, especially after all of the interactions with Rocket and the way that Rocket seems to know certain things that he doesn't, and the way that he was just so bitter about it, he reminds me of people who tweet you, Cam. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wait, did I? I must have went to the bathroom when someone uh, when there was a scene where he asked Rocket to rank uh, the top five wrestlers. Uh. <laughs> it's nasty out here, man. But nah, I'm not listening. I haven't talked to a Nigerian in almost a week because I'm done with a man. High Evolutionary was acting crazy. 
So I'm anti-Nigerian, at, at least for the rest of the month. I just want to say that this is Cameron Hawkins does not speak for Marvel Cinematic University. We accept all I'm, nationalities. I'm, I'm saying it. I don't. You guys are out of here. No jollof rice for me. But no, um, yeah, it, it was that, you know, you want more. I, I want more of that. Like, I mm-hmm. want Villain of the Week. I love Villain of the Week. Like the, and he wasn't even overacting. I think he was fantastic, yes. but it was that 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 assertiveness. And again, my my favorite comic panel ever: um, Spider Man and Sauron. When Spider Man's like, "Yo, you're a genius. You could use this technology to do anything. You could cure cancer. I don't want to cure cancer. I want to make monsters." And it's like, "Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do the evil stuff. This is great." No, he he, you know, he had a purpose. He was dedicated to the next thing and, and felt no qualms about it happening at all. It was all about like the work. It was all about his end game. It was all about progress. And he would not let anything stand in his way. And it was crazy to him that people didn't understand that this is what was supposed to happen. His people turned on him because they were like, no, you're actually too crazy. Yeah. It was great. I- I think that I think that was that was great, and I do want to say to that: when do you you normally see you see stuff like that happen in these types of mediums where you have the when you have the villain? All right, you done, you doing too much. You a DTM Hall of Famer right now, and the henchmen kind of turn on him, and it's like, okay, the villain's gonna get their come up. It's no, he completely wipes them out, just like One that. Move. Yeah. And it's just incredible stuff, man. But go ahead, Jake. I think the thing is, the reason why I find him interesting is that I think that we have a problem in the way, well, we have a media literacy problem across the board with everything. But I think that too many people take characters, especially villains, what they say at their word. I actually think that the thing that made him interesting is that he actually did was not dedicated to his purpose. He might have been for some Mm. point, but very clearly he was sacrificing his larger purpose because he was so angry about Rocket. Like, yeah, he had an inferiority complex. The way I thought about it is it's like, it's as if God, if God could create a being that was more omnipotent than him, would God not be angry? Is I, and that's like the super dumb Philip. But like, that is what it is. It's a man who thought he, his purpose is predicated on him being the most supreme being and the r- correct arbiter of how things should go evolutionarily. And so therefore, if he could create something that was smarter than him, that undermines his whole reason yeah. for being. And yeah. so, like, yeah, he says he wants to get Rocket because he wants to study his brain. But he wants to get Rocket because he can't fathom the idea of one of his creations being better than him. Because that completely, if one of his creations could be better than him, then why is he the person deciding all this shit? And I think that that is a, like, philosophically a very interesting thing and in my opinion a much more realistic villain yeah. arc than like i'm just tired of the villain arc of a guy who wants to do something good but is bad about doing it like because the fact of the matter is the real villains of the world like real villains of the world are kind of simple they all have inferiority complexes donald trump's mm-hmm. dad wasn't very nice to him that's why way he is it's like pretty easy yeah. the high evolutionary clearly has an inferiority complex towards rocket that's why he wants to kill him like it's actually pretty simple in that way and so yeah. i think that that yeah. when you have a very simple emotional arc and you have a complex care, like a complex story, and a bunch of window dressing that can be very interesting. That it, it doesn't have to be more complicated than he's just mad at being dumber than Rocket, but he has a lot of hoity-toity dialogue, Shakespearean monologues, etc., that make it feel more real. Because conflicts in the real world are pretty simple, emotionally speaking. And I think that I, I just like that it's not like he's trying to make the universe better because this, that, or the other. No, no, no. He is a madman who thinks that he knows better than evolution. 
Yeah, it was somebody the asked me. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Somebody asked me, uh, "Do I feel like AI is a threat to art?" And I was like, "No, AI reinforces art. Like when you look at like AI Drake songs." And you really listen to them. It's like, there's nothing creative about this. Like, this is literally ones and zeros based off of things they've heard previously. None of this is interesting. None of it's innovative. And that's really what it was. Like, the evolutionary was using formulas and graphs to make some really cool things most people can't make. Didn't have ingenuity. Didn't have creativity. Didn't have that spark. And yeah, it like Rocket having that broke his brain on a couple of occasions. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was um yeah, sometimes just that petty jealousy can can make you do the craziest things. Like sew your face back on. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, it's the insecurity for me, man. Mm-hmm. It's like and you and he exudes it throughout when the way that he Rocket after the fact, and you knew that he he killed he killed his folks. Just because of that. It wasn't, oh, just incinerate them. No, he just hated Rocket because of Rocket figuring that stuff out. And it's stuff like that, that to Jake's point and to your point, Cam, is is what is more so what we would want and hope for in terms of villains. Because, I mean, I was talking about it earlier today, and I can't remember, like in most MCU villains... And if you really think about it, even Thanos to a degree, if you really think about it like emotionally, how do they make you feel? Do they make you feel like, oh, I hate this dude. I want him to lose. No, this was one of the few times in this entire thing spanning 15 years where I'm looking at this character and I'm like, yo, Gamora, rip his face off right now. He needs to get it. And I was so satisfied that he got it. Yeah, because it's like it's I apologize. I, I thought you were finished. No, I, no. <laughs> uh, that I, I think because even though this what he's doing is crazy sci-fi mumbo jumbo, we know the guy who can't get over the fact that he is not the smartest person in the world. Like, and I know that man because he was me before between the ages of six to fourteen. And I think <laughs> that it is People who know me can attest to that. And I think that it is like, it is a very knowable person. And it is the only person who doesn't realize that that is what they're doing is that person. Like, it is the most painfully. When when someone is just like, all the bits of him like yelling at Rocket about like how the the whole bit of like, you thought that you were going to be in the new planet. This is for perfect beings or whatever. He's doing that because he knows that that's the thing he has over him. Like he's killing his friends because he knows that's the thing he has over him. And it's just like, he is a petty man, and I think that that is important. I, I I like when villains have flaws because that is kind of what makes villains interesting and what makes villains villains. Like the last thing I don't like when a villain has a perfect plan because like one, no one's perfect, and this that's kind of silly. But it also just like it makes right. them in a way actually less scary because they're predictable. If your plan is perfect, then I can already predict how it's gonna go. You know, and not that Thanos wasn't a great villain, but Thanos did, did not inspire anything in me. I think that kind of was the way right. they played him because he was so cold and technical. But I don't want it to be the standard. I want most villains to right. be people you're like, oh shit, like this guy's a loose cannon. This guy is crazy, or this guy is gonna do something. He doesn't have the same moral code as other people. That's what makes him dangerous. No, yeah, absolutely, and yeah, salute to Chuck Woody, man. Um, that was a hell of a performance by him. I don't know uh, if there's Jake ever been a performance that has made a guest turn on a nation. That is pretty impressive. 
<laughs> Nigeria, you're out of here. I also got beef with a bunch of uh, Nigerians from England, but that's wrestling stuff. Don't worry about that. That's, that's... <laughs> oh yeah, I have seen the videos. <laughs> yeah, some, some big dudes, man. They was they had me looking crazy. But listen, um, yeah, it, again, it was just a, a fantastic performance. It really, really was. And like you said, like it wasn't Killmonger was right. It wasn't they mm-hmm. had a point. It wasn't yo. Uh, what's my man's name? Like, uh, Tony Stark really did do Kilgrave dirty. Like, it wasn't that. You know what I mean? It was like, no, I hate this person. I hate this person. I want all the bad things in the world to happen to him. He is absolutely irredeemable. Go get him. Like, yeah. And on a and what's good about it is, you're we're more mad at him about how he treated four CGI friends than him literally destroying a planet that was bad that was really really bad more mad about the furry friends uh, not the not the furry not the furry adults not the furry people i'm more mad about the operated on animals and, and like you seen like peter's like i love this movie peter loves the movie they hate everything and they were like, yeah. the best representation of how to treat animals i'm like no no they're they're, they're right because i wanted the animals to win yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I... <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, man. But yeah, high evolutionary man. Yes, MCU. If you're listening, please make your villains more like that. If you can, we would greatly appreciate it over here. But there are there are other guardians to get to. I thought that, and I want to highlight this scene as a part of it because I feel like we can talk about them all together the same. I thought the. The Drax Mantis stuff, continuing from the vibes of the holiday special, just was, was continues to be great stuff. But then you throw Nebula into the mix. And I will say this because I said it before. It, one of the most underrated, I think it will be in time, when we think about the history of the MCU, just scenes, just acting, just like three people in there having it out, because I did not see that coming, was Mantis and Nebula arguing, and even with the comedic Drax's stupid bit, you have Mantis showing genuine emotion, you have Nebula going back at her, and that whole back and forth, it felt so genuine and so real from a friendship standpoint, because stuff like that happens where there's certain things under the surface that you know people aren't able to talk about, but then sometimes when you have a blow up and there's a mistake or something like that, then the real stuff comes out. And I think it says something to what Jake said earlier about friendship and when you can talk about something, have an argument and have it out. Like really, it gets personal, but you can still move on from it. I thought that was a wonderful scene and I thought it encapsulated the character growth that we've seen from uh, particularly, you know, Mantis and Nebula, two people who, you know, we t- we think about at the start of their arcs, we didn't think that they would become this important in that sense, but you felt it. You you really did. But uh, Jake, like, if you wanted to talk about like the character development and what you saw in this movie from the three of them, Drax, Nebula, mm-hmm. and Mantis, go ahead. I, like I said, Nebula is is the most improved player throughout the like her arc is incredible, and I'm so I'm happy for it because I, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, so I was super excited for Karen Gillan to get in the MCU, and then. I was really mad at the character she played because she has like the most delightful sing-songy accent and they have her doing a monotone thing, which I actually just learned recently. James Gunn's note to her, and this is 
one of the greatest notes I've ever heard because this is exactly what she's doing. Is James Gunn told the, her the voice should be a mix between Marilyn Monroe and Clint Eastwood, which is exactly what it is, <laughs> which is nuts. I know. But anyway, um, I think that the way that she's been able to get emotion into the character more has been really wonderful because it is a full, it's not the stone character. And then Mantis, I think that, it's always crazy to listen to an interview with Pam Klementchev because she sounds almost exactly like Manta. She's almost not doing a voice at all. But, and so I think that she's able, she has such a comedic tone with the way she normally speaks. But I think that in that way, the type of people, you know, who are kind of goofy or have like a goofy way about them when they get serious, it is like serious, serious. You know what I mean? And like with tears in her eyes, the line she says about that, like he tracks is the only one who doesn't hate himself is like really a punch in the gut because it's true especially even and the fact that she's saying that because she's like the bouncy is the most delightful character but the tacit admission there is that she hates herself because of course she does she helped ego this evil person for all this time and so i think that them the the art the completion of drax's arc being that he's a dad was super beautiful to me because i saw a lot of people and well i think we'll talk about this more the discourse around the fact that there were no major deaths in this movie, which I, you know, I don't think that that's a dumb discourse. And I think a lot of people were thinking that Drax would die. And I actually think that the way that they handled him in this movie was the perfect way to handle him because the end of his arc is not like the way he starts. If the way where he ends his death, that's not like an arc. He wanted to die. He had a death wish in the first guardians. Like he was trying to take on like, that's actually not an arc at all. Unlike the, his arc is to find another purpose to live. And what Mantis is doing in that scene is making the argument for Drax. That, yes, he's silly and dumb, but, like, he has, he has, despite the fact that he has arguably the most tragic past of any of them, losing his wife and his daughter, he has a sense of wonder and, like, Mm -hmm. earnestness that makes life worth living for him. And that, putting them together was really, I think, a great choice because obviously Drax and Mantis are so funny together. And then having Nebula with the two funny characters, you know, able to be funny, but also kind of confront, like, in a way that if you're Nebula and you're with the Guardians, at some point you kind of have to be, like, mad. Like, why can't I be fun like you guys? Why is it easy for you guys to be fun? I'm not a fun person. I know that. I don't know. I, I thought it was just really nice, and it did make me tear up both times I saw it. I mean, I teared up a lot of this movie. I'm not, but mm-hmm. I tear up at everything. Uh, but yeah, it nah, definitely, nothing wrong uh, with that, brother. Yeah. Uh, we emotional people. We have, exactly. Hey, what, uh, what was, uh, I branded on my head on that one pod with maize, my smalty cornball. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. And yeah, Cam, if you could tell me, you know, what you felt about these, these characters, not only in terms of character growth, but what you saw in this movie, because there's just a lot of beautiful stuff from them that, like I, I keep saying, and I can't say it enough, it felt real, genuine. Yeah, I think with with Nebula um, and Mantis, like that's that's really a conversation about proper maternal instincts. Like they they are both there to take care of everybody else, but they do it in such different ways. You know, Nebula's is forceful. Nebula's is with violence, while Mantis is let's tap into your emotions. Like let, let's talk about who you are. And, and so you see, you know, Drax kind of become a focal point, like between the two of them of the right way to go about this. Um, I, I thought that, you know, Drax and Mantis have this really cool relationship where it's, it's, it's not sexual, you know, it's literally about yeah. protecting one another to the point where at the end of the movie, Drax just assumes that they're leaving together. He's like, you need somebody to protect you. Like it, it wasn't even a question that that was going to happen for him um but yeah like that that's that's 
a great end game, being a dad and taking care of people. And, and that's what he was yeah. about. You know, that that's all of them. You know, really, their focal points were, you know, we need to take care of those around us. And, you know, him being able to, like, talk to those kids and knowing their language, like, just out of nowhere. He's like, you didn't ask me if I knew it. Like, he is really there um, to grow old. And Mm -hmm. that's his win, just growing old, you know, coming from a warrior race, um, you know, being outclassed multiple times. You know, he was outclassed by Thanos. He was outclassed by Ronan, um, you know, to a point where everything he was building, as much stronger as he is than everybody else, did not matter when it came to facing them. And so, you know, he needed a purpose at the end. And all of a sudden he got hundreds, if not thousands of them, like to close out his arc. It really is beautiful. AC, I'm curious how that hit you as the one dad on the pod. Um you know, the the whole idea of your person not to be a destroyer, to be a dad, I feel like that honestly would mean more. Like, I can't imagine how that hits your ears instead of mine. So I think it's a beautiful point. And I think, you know, it's it's not only the it's not only the Drax thing. It is the idea of him and Nebula and him and uh, Mantis, uh, Mantis leaving at the end. There is an amount of not only protection as a parent, but there is also the eventuality of letting go. And I think that just doesn't apply with not only friendships, but it does apply as a parent too. You have to be able to eventually let go and let people grow, let your kids grow on their own without you. And that takes a lot of love and care too. Letting go takes a lot of love and care because if you don't, if you don't allow that to happen, and this occurs in all relationships, then there's always going to be room for resentment, bitterness, and all that stuff. So I think the examination of Drax is like, and, and this is like, Drax, I, I think the the lovely thing that Cam said about growing old, hashtag wash agenda makes an appearance. It's, it's just beautiful that we, we yep. were able to find our way here. And just, I love Drax. I remember in the earlier movies, we would be going back and forth on the show about like Drax as a character, like with some of the guests that we've had. And people not liking Drax. And I don't know. I'm a Drax guy. Like, I've always just loved the fact that he's so corny. Because he's a corny dad. And he just ended up as he was supposed to. There's a beautiful goodbye for him. Even him dancing at the end. Just, like, the way that he just kind of, like, loses his mind and just starts to, like, let go. It's just a tremendous stuff. I I, I just really, really was a fan of, of not only his arc, but everybody's arc in it. Because, you know, ultimately... What you do look for in not only characters when you're watching stuff in this medium, you look for you look you just look for that growth. You look for them to change and become different, and the interactions between everybody have evolved in this in this uh, entire trilogy plus the other movies that they've had uh, together. So I think to you know kind of bring it back full circle to where we are the these characters were not people that I expected to care about in the way that I do now. And this was another example of Gunn, as you said earlier, Jake, taking everyone seriously to the point where you have to care. It makes you care in a way, if you really love the Guardians of the Galaxy, then you care about what happens to Drax, you care about what happens to Mantis, and you care about what happens to Nebula, which is something, again, I wouldn't have never expected after the first movie. So I think it's a credit to 
uh, James Gunn's mind and everything that he was able to put into this. And this is what I mean by being genuine in not only your work, but genuine in life. When you're genuine in that type of way, good things will happen and good things will come because you're just giving of yourself who you are. And this movie is about who these guardians are. And that part of it, that part of it is truly beautiful. But there's more characters. Peter Quill. Peter Quill is very interesting because I've already kind of heard this on a couple of podcasts recapping this movie about people's theater experiences and like they get to the post credits and they and then we get the whole the legendary Star Lord will return. And this happened to me when I went to the to the theater this past weekend. So that whole that whole thing came up on the screen and you saw a couple of groans in the audience because I, I, it's you know it's not a secret that people are like not all the way in on Chris Pratt these days. So that part of it was funny, but as a character, I thought Peter Quill went through some real real legitimate growth. I think the stuff that happened with him and Gamora throughout was interesting to see him struggle with that. But then by the end of the film, get to a place where he can let her go and let go of that idea of, you know, this was a love that I had, but this is not this is not the person. And Gamora, to her, you know, to her credit, and I thought Zoe did a good job playing this part, too. It's like, I don't know you like that. Like, and I understand that you people want me to know you like that, but I just don't. And I think that there's a frustration in that too. So I think when you get Quill in a place where he's where he finally goes back to where he started with his family, I mean him hugging his granddad, that was just a beautiful moment. Cause as you go right back to the first one, he he's sent away and then he gets picked up. And just imagine what something like that that happens. Um it reminds me of the movie Lion where where the two brothers get separated and then the brother comes back many years later and finds out that his other brother brother was killed that same that same day so you don't get that opportunity often when something like that happens when you lose family and now he found another family but his own family was still out there and he was able to find them so i thought that was a beautiful moment and i thought peter quill's arc was actually handled very well because they easily could have done him and gamora getting back together and making it like a a very yep. like regular thing the the mm-hmm. get for pops for the crowd everybody's happy they get to see the two people back in love but no you let go and you move on so um so cam let me know what you thought of peter quill man so <laughs> you talk about you know people having their own personal opinions on chris pratt james gunn did not do him all the favors he could in this movie so peter quill the star lord we've seen him with green women and blue women and red women and aliens of of all types right so he's been in space 30 some odd years but when he goes home to finally get with his granddad and a black woman opens the door he can't he's like oh must have the wrong house how does that work no he he might have been like no sorry my granddad was super racist there's no way Like I was like, come on, dog! Like he, he can't. it was the eighties. Like, he, what are you doing? But, uh, but um, no. The the part that was really interesting is how they presented it. Like, 
everybody deals with heartbreak different ways, right? His was primarily alcohol, but it wasn't, I'm drunk on the street and I'm picking fights. It was, I can't sleep unless I do this, you know, like it was like really, like really heavy, like really personal. Like I can't, this woman is in my mind so heavily that the only way I can end my day is involuntarily. Like it was a lot, you know? Um, I, I do love that his, his sense of, of family was immediately like he feels the guilt of not being there for Rocky. And, you know, we know he probably couldn't have prevented what happened. It might've been worse if he was there, but immediately it was a sense of duty. Um, I, I really appreciate, like you guys said that it wasn't, they didn't end it with the cheap feel good. They ended it with the growth as a person feel good. Like, you know, people always say, uh, and there, there are enough, uh, Instagram memes like you got to take care of you first. You got to build yourself yeah. back up. <laughs> Real growth is growing inside of you. It's about the flower, not the flower bed. You know all that, whatever. <laughs> but genuine, it really was yeah. about him growing as a person and learning to be okay by himself. Um, and you know that probably also means, like when we see him in future appearances, it's not going to be seven, eight deep with all the guardians. You know, but for him to, I think he probably still had, you know, the most, if not the majority of the screen time, but it really was about what he's built around him and what he's instilled in his team. And I think that that was really good. And again, we're getting the best version of him now because he finally knows who he is and doesn't need to be surrounded by people to understand that. So I thought it was good. Like him being the main character, but having the second most important story in this thing, I think was really cool. Yeah. Yes, yes, very well-rounded. How about you? And Chris? I think the thing about, the reason why I think it was important for him and Gamora not to end up together is from her end, I think it's like kind of, not important, but like a very interesting and I think less conventional in a big blockbuster choice to be like, love is not a faded thing. Like the reason why Peter and Gamora got together was not by accident, but it was because of the two people that they were at the time and what they had. Like mm -hmm. there is, it, it, for a movie ostensibly produced by the Disney Corporation, I think it's almost radical to be like, no, people are not faded together. Like if you happen to meet a different version of someone, you might not. If you're not the same people, you're not going to end up together, and like that's okay. You know that like the version of Gamora that he loved is actually dead. Just because there's someone who like is a facsimile of her doesn't mean that it's her. And I think that like him accepting that, I think it's, it is once again, like I kind of said earlier, is like, it is a metaphor for the way that people, when you, when, when people leave your life for one reason or another, you can't just get them back because whoever they are five years down the line is not the same person they were when you, they were in your life earlier. And so I think that him being able to accept that. And I think the, the bit where she says, I bet we were fun. And he says, you wouldn't believe I, is heartbreaking, but I think that that's like a beautiful thing for because they were fun, and he doesn't need them to continue to be fun because he knows that that would be unfair to her, and that it wouldn't be fair to him either because there, he can't. The thing that made his relationship with Gamora beautiful and what makes his relationship with the other Guardians beautiful is that it's all organic. It's because they do actually care about each other, and you can't force someone to love you. You can't force someone to be your friend, and so 
the acceptance of that I thought was really great. And I thought that they both played it really well. I thought that, you know, people have been saying that James Gunn was dealt like a shitty hand because of what happened in Endgame. And like, I guess that's true, but it's also like you can make movies that aren't in a big cinematic universe and don't, you don't have to worry about it. So like, I'm, I don't think he was, um, <laughs> but I think he did, he played it really well and he turned a narrative problem that admittedly the Russos kind of just dumped on his lap into an interesting arc for his main character. Yes. Yes. And yeah, I thought that, yeah, that goodbye, it was wistful, but it wasn't full of regret as basically the beginning of this movie was for him and everything since Endgame was for Peter. So I thought that was cool too. Um, there's a lot of fun scenes in this movie. I want to get some of your, I want to do go rapid fire with some of some of your favorites. Cam, is there anything that in particular that stood out to you? Oh man, when they went to what my old lady referred to as the giant butt, um, I was like, it's not a butt. Like, there's nothing but about it. There's a hole in this mass of, but it was it was just pretty, man. Shout out to friend of the show, Sam. I just imagined Sam drawing this, like, on, like, paper with all the colors. And it was beautiful. And Nathan Fillion's hilarious. And, you know, I got a guy. Like, I I love the trope of relative of people in charge who isn't all there, not the brightest guy getting a job. And, you know, them kind of poking fun of him being in that position. That was really fun. Like, it, it's a pretty movie. That's probably, like, the most colorful scene of them, you know, breaking in there to get the info. I really did like that. Mm-hmm. Jake, anything I mean, else? That's, that's there's a ton of stuff, and we'll be talking about this movie for months. I think that it's important. Yes. I will say a thing that film Twitter has been very excited about, and I have to agree, is that it's very nice and rare for a movie to acknowledge that Elizabeth Debicki is 6'3". Most movies try to hide it, and this movie has a gag about it. Um, she's a 6'3 Australian model. Uh, it's just really incredible uh, to see them acknowledge that. And the bit is just great. It's a great bit. I also thought, we haven't talked about her, Cosmo the Space Dog. Oh, yeah. I am, she's a good she's dog. A good dog. <laughs> you know, a lot of movies, a, a lot dog. of big franchises, when they're like, you know, we're going to add an Academy Award nominated actress to our movie, it's going to be like, oh, a big villain or a new big sporting character. No, 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 no. James Gunn's like, Academy, hey, Maria Bakalova, you got an Oscar nomination? You're going to fucking voice our space dog <laughs> that can be that has telekinesis. I mean, just, and I will say this so many movies have talking animals that are supposed to be conveying the thoughts the animals have it is very rare that if you like cosmo feels like i want a dog with that <laughs> like oh i know you're i know i'm a good dog i know you know i'm a good dog i just and like honestly you talk about characters that we're not supposed to care about like craglin was like freaking henchman number two in guardians of the galaxy one i know and then he got like and at the end of it in the post credit scene where you see them as he's as a member of the new guardians you're like yeah sure he's been around for long enough like you know, nepotism, whatever. He, I know it's James Gunn's brother, but I kind of get a fun character. Who cares? Uh, yeah. Also, yeah. Shout out to Sean Gunn for doing uh, a good portion of the voice for Baby Rocket here. That was a that was a good job for. And he also does a lot of the there. the CGI stuff for Rocket. He does the onset green screen stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, you know, like great stuff from him. Um, we got we got the uh, Michael Rooker cameo. We got the Yandu. Right fast, so that was a nice that was a nice call back there. Um, listen, no sleep till Brooklyn. That that scene was awesome. So if you just wanna just like needle drop, go. That was it right there for me. Wait, um, if we're talking needle drops, can I have a sad white boy corner, please? 
I mean, as someone, I felt seen in this movie as someone who both owned a Zune and whose favorite <laughs> band is Radiohead. Them starting off with Radiohead played on a Zune is like, is really like, representation matters. Um, <laughs> Have you seen that uh, Patrice O'Neill's bit on white people listening to Creep? Uh, no, I actually have not. I should. But it's I just yeah, he's like it's just saying it's it's, it's y'all's out of body experience. See, the thing about it, the thing is, I enjoy Creep, but as a Radiohead fan, most Radiohead fans will tell you that Creep is not that good of a song because you know who really doesn't like the song Creep is the band Radiohead. Um, and so I like that they use the acoustic version, which is like better and more emotional. Um, but yeah, I thought it was honestly like a it's really just James Gunn like being like I. This is my swan song with the MCU. I can do whatever I want to. Imagine any other MCU director starting the movie off with a incredibly dour acoustic song for five consecutive minutes. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was great. I thought like the near drops are great in this movie. I, I really liked that they had a broader range, obviously, because it was all music. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the Do You Realize Neil Drop was really good. Um, the Dog Days were over, obviously. But yeah, the No Sleep Till Brooklyn, like, I mean, it's just great that right now in the multiplexes, there are two Chris Pratt movies that Needle Drop and No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Because uh, it's also in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Just great synergy. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, man. There's a lot of great scenes. I think like all of all of the... Um, oh, the <laughs> Drax and the analogy thing with Peter was great. That, it's that, just often the cut like... Being... It's not working. It's not working the, at the all. The poop that <laughs> looks like a fish. The hoop that looks like a fish. Watch the agenda Drax when they're on Counter Earth and he wants to lie down <laughs> the on the couch. And... Why would they make it this size if they didn't want me to lay down? They... I felt seen Batista myself is there. such a great physical comedian. The way that he's slowly leaning over. <laughs> he's fantastic. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and we even got an F-bomb. Yeah. We got an F-bomb from Peter yeah, Quill. It was great. It was great, yeah. It's, it's oh, and, like, and like, oh, the man. fact that he can't drive a car. Is so funny. Like, oh that he can God. pilot like the most the most complicated like ships known to man across the galaxy and, and participate in dog fights and, and get chased through space and like an automatic sob is just beating his ass like all up and down the road. It was great. <laughs> that was amazing. Oh my gosh. It, um oh no. Okay, so this when the first time I heard this, I lost my mind. When when goddamn Groot says I love you guys, I was just like, wait a minute, what is happening is right that, now? And then like, is that them hearing it or is that us? James Gunn, James Gunn explained it. That's us, what he explained yeah. was that in the same way that in the scene earlier, Gamora can start to understand Groot because she's been around him. The idea is that we are now clo- the audience is now close enough to Groot that we can understand them. Which, as stated before, as a schmaltzy cornball, I love. I love, I love that. Oh. It was perfect. It was so so perfect. And and honestly, like I think that ending scene with with uh, the with the dog days are over was just it felt jovial. It felt like it felt like it was a release for not only the characters but I think the actors themselves. Like the way that they kind of took to that scene and the dancing and stuff like that. Um, uh Drax watching Mantis leave. That was a little sad. I was just like, oh, that, 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 that was that was uh sad. And then, you know, in that whole montage, and then you see Rocket kind of finally having some joy. Like it it, it, it just it's always wisecracks and kind of like anger and rage a little bit with him, but it, it, Rocket having joy, dancing with Groot, 
that was perfect. This um this movie was just a lot. But as I just a quick uh, couple of sidebars uh, before we get close to wrapping this up. Um, Adam Warlock was a character that uh, made his debut in this movie. I know there are a good portion of nerds who are like, why did they make him dumb? And honestly, I think for this movie, he kind of fit in perfectly where he needed to. This was not a movie that was going to be a showcase for Adam Warlock's talents. So therefore, you have him this way now. So if you want to do something with him later, as he grows, as, you know, he's a baby, literally. In the in, in the in the in the way that his mind works right now, when he's able to grow and get to a certain place, then we can have that conversation. But I thought in this movie, I thought he was perfect as the as the foil with some comedy mixed in between with his little furry friend. Yeah, my favorite line in the movie probably was when uh, they're on the crashing spaceship and Gamora says, "Don't move or this weird thing gets it," and he will pull through his deadpans. Don't be rash. <laughs> because I think the thing about it is, like, if you think about the way James Gunn thinks. If you were to pitch a character as this, like, ma- perfect man that was, like, born a full-grown adult out of a shell that's super strong and has super strength, the part of that that is most interesting that James Gunn is the born as an adult out of a shell. Like, that's the thing. That, he's not interested in whatever. There are a million characters that are super strong. He's interested in the idea of, like, what if a fully formed Adonis of a man was just a newborn? And I think that he had a lot of fun with that. And, it, like, I, I think you're right. Like, if he was supposed to be the main villain of the movie, it would be a problem. But he's not. And... He Will Poulter's incredibly good at the comedy he does. And so, like, I, I, I always just have a problem ever taking – not – once again, I don't really know the comics, so that's not it. But for a certain – there's always a uh, – whenever people complain about a thing not being done a certain way, it's like if a thing is done well and how the director wants it to be, like, I'm fine with it. Like, clearly this – it accomplished what they wanted to, and I would rather James Gunn do the version that's interesting to him than do whatever – nerds on the internet think will be best because not that's not to say the nerds are inherently wrong but like i trust james gunn way way more than i trust them yeah and and the coolest part was not only is he like this this omnipotent um you know omnipotent all-powerful um you know adonis but what if we took him out the oven 10 minutes before he's done that's the thing that got me. It's like, okay, like not only is he a newborn, but there's some stuff that still needs to be formed on this guy. And yeah, him having all like the interrogation, the interrogation of him abs- <laughs> ab- like accidentally frying the guy. Like, oh, I thought that's what you said to do. Yeah. It, it, it was it was really fun. Like I was as we're talking, somebody's DMing me about like, do you feel like he needed to be included? And I wanted to be like, my man. You do not have an Adam Warlock t-shirt or comic or tattoo or anything. Like, this is people deciding to complain about a thing so that they can complain. Just have fun with it. Like, like he's not he's not the focal point of the comics. He's the focal point of, like, one or two right. stories. Like, just have fun. Like, let this thing ride out. Um, so, yeah, he was... I thought he was great. Like, I mean, I, I think everything's great nowadays. I don't know. So, yeah, it was, it was great. It was fantastic. That's the way to be. That's the way to be. The, the, the meme of, of the bus... Like the, the, on the one side, it's a, they're looking at the same thing. One person is yeah. sad and they see like, you know, this was made to just be silly and the other person's happy. And then what they see is yeah. this was made to be silly. James Dunn, James Gunn had, he has that dog in him. He absolutely has that dog in him. I can't say he has that yes. raccoon in him, a whole different con- connotation, but he no. has that dog in him. <laughs> I wouldn't, I can I, that would be a bridge too far for even this podcast. Oh man. <laughs> 
Also, shouts to him for getting all the because obviously he has his brother in the movie. He got his wife in the movie, which of course yeah. people got mad about, yeah. despite the fact that his brother is like a main character. But um, you know, he got his buddy Nathan Fillion in the movie. Uh, Pete Davidson makes a cameo in the movie. Um, he makes a cameo in the movie. Daniela Daniela Melchior is in it. Um, apparently, yeah. I didn't know this until later. The the pig mercenary is played by Judy Greer. He's just getting yeah. everyone in this movie, and oh, it's like wow. okay. that's I think every director should aspire to that. Of just being like being seen as such a fun guy to be around that anyone is just like, oh yeah, I'll do two days on that movie. Yeah, I'll fly out to wherever, whatever, you know. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, I think this is a this is a movie that I'll be thinking about for a while. And it's funny that uh, two of the last three MCU movies were kind of in their own way tearjerkers. Uh, Wakanda Forever was a was you know a lot, very emotional in its own way, and then we got this as well. It's, I think, you know, there's a lot that we can talk about in terms of what the MCU is at this point and how it's still evolving. I still think things, all things considered, we're doing okay. We're, And that's also a conversation, like, I think that, and I think you probably agree with me on this, at a certain point, like, you, you can only talk so much about it. And it's like, I'm much more, yeah. I think this movie more than anything reminded us of like, that is a fine secondary conversation to have, but like, if that yes. is, if what's happening in the future is essential to talking about the movie, the movie has problems. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Like, I just, I was just thinking about the tenor of our conversation with Quantumania and the one with this one. And like I said, I felt present with this movie in a way that, um, I wasn't in the last one. So I don't know if it's necessarily a reaction to that, but I also think, it is a, a legitimate feel of the way that James Gunn wrote these characters and sent these characters off into wherever they're going to go next. But um, I think as we continue to, you know, watch this medium and watch it evolve and stuff like that, I think what we got here was something beautiful. And I, I can't say that enough. Cam, do you have any, any final thoughts on, on, on the movie itself and just kind of, or if you have any larger uh, take off of it from uh, how the MCU is and how it's evolved in your eyes. I think that when you do these ensemble movies with superheroes or any action movie that's a big ensemble, um, how do I make these people care about each other and in turn make the audience care about them? And... As much as I love, you know, Avengers, um, the thing about this, we see the flaws in these characters from the beginning. And so we get to watch them grow from day one and, and evolve. And mm -hmm. it's not about the thing we find out about Captain America three movies in or the thing we find out about Tony Stark five movies in. It's really about these people from the very beginning. We see them a lot of times at their lowest and we watch them build and build and build and they don't become, I mean, they become literally the guardians of the galaxy, but they don't, you know, get a million dollars. They don't become kings and queens. They don't vanquish, uh, you know, a foe in, in, in extreme mortal combat battle to the death. No, they build one another up. Um, which in turn builds them. So the fact that I I got this problem 
with most movies, but with Marvel and DC movies where I watch them once and I don't know if I can rewatch them because I got the thing out of it that I felt like I needed. I want to watch these people care mm-hmm. about each other again. I want to look back at this yes. and see how they felt in the moment and what their interactions were. And I want to go back and look at Guardians 1 and Guardians 2 and really watch this thing build. Like, it really is something special because I want these characters to be okay in a way that I'm indifferent towards most other characters. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that is a, that's a very fair and astute way to put it. I'm kind of in the same lane. Um, it made me want to go back and watch the original. Um, this movie made me want to go watch it again. And then when I saw it again, I feel like if I saw it a third time in the next week or so, I wouldn't be mad about it. I'd be, feel pre- be feeling pretty good. Because, um, yeah, I think there's just there's just a level of emotion when you are able to get that and put that together. It just feels like it's something that will stick with you. And it has with me. And I feel like it will with, you know, fans of this and how this goes um jake do you have any final thoughts yeah i think because i rewatched the first two guardians in before i saw three and i think that they are really special and unique and i think the thing that makes them special and unique is exactly the thing that people were skeptical about which is because these are characters no one knows or cares about they have to do all of the work to build them up and i think that there is a temptation with some of these bigger characters or even even if the characters aren't that big now that we're so deep in the mcu that like some of the the parts that make the the things that make you want to spend time with these characters sometimes skipped over and i think that james gunn puts so much work into making these characters relatable and enjoy both relatable flawed but also enjoyable to be around that it's it it is why these movies are able to succeed are able to feel so important when the stakes aren't necessarily universe ending um because mm-hmm. he recognizes that the the stakes of a world of strangers getting blown up are significantly smaller than the stakes of one person you care about dying that is a secret that that is that is the thing that the that so many of these avengers movies that when they mess up this is what they mess up the problem isn't necessarily that these f- f- bad guys are too powerful it's that like you need to care about the thing you're looking at. It's it's why so many cheesy action movies have some like the president's daughter get kidnapped because the thing is you can input a lot of emotion onto the president's daughter, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I think that it's completely in not even a manipulative way. Just I want the lesson out of these movies not to be like we should try to have the same jokes as James Gunn or the same slapstick stuff as James Gunn. We should what they should try to do is make these stories very human again, like James Gunn does. And I think when the Marvel movies are the best, they do that in their own way. And I hope that if they ever make any more Guardians movies, which I'd be fine with, I don't, I'm not pressed about any of this stuff. I also hope that they right. try to find someone who is character first but who has a completely different tone than James Gunn. Because the last thing I want to see is someone try to do a bad James Gunn movie because he his tone is a knife's edge. If you do a little bit too jokey, it becomes not serious. And if you do a little too yeah. gross, it becomes juvenile. So I really hope that if they do it, they find someone who's like really has their own take. But I, 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 would, I just love these characters. And I think that um, it's a triumph that they are as beloved, if not more beloved than any of the big name characters in the MCU. 100%. Uh, this movie is wonderful. Looking forward to talking about this more as we uh, continue on here. But uh, this is a wrap for the show this week. Um, first off, 
salute to our guest, Cameron Hawkins, for joining us once again. Uh, Cam, tell the good people where we can find you and your work. You're doing a lot these days. Oh, my goodness. I'm so busy. Um, yeah, uh, the ringer.com, um, Cameron Hawkins. I am on there writing about your pro wrestling. Um, just a uh, week before last, interviewed Lita about her new career um, on WWE's Most Wanted Treasures. Um, and we had a real cool conversation about her getting to be a fan again. Um, you'd be surprised just how much wrestling ties back to Rey Mysterio in that he's so influential to everybody. And she tells a real cool story about going to his house for dinner and digging through like his trunks of masks and gear. And so that's coming up on the show uh, here in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, did that. Um, did a lot of WrestleMania week coverage. I was everywhere doing everything. Uh, got something coming up about uh, On Location who does like WWE's VIP services and really cool events that we did with them. Um, you can catch me every couple of weeks um, with uh, Bodyslam.net, um, myself, my man Nick Perkins, doing a show about, uh, it's called Break It Down, the Degeneration X uh, Retrospective. Mm-hmm. And so that's nice. been really fun to do. Um, so yeah, a little bit of everything. Got uh, more projects and more work coming up that I'm excited about. So that'll unfold here in the next couple of weeks. But yeah. Yeah, th- thank you. And really excited to watch you grow. You've been doing great work, man. Been, been really enjoying and, reading your, your work. And, and one of the best insulters on Twitter I said this yeah. before, but I truly mean it. When you told the woman, I bet your teachers had to laminate your homework so you wouldn't eat it by mistake. <laughs> truly. I had I Googled that phrase because I'm like, surely he didn't make that up. That's one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. And every week you're coming up with something that is like un it's just it's if it's 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 like a master at work. I just want everyone to know I don't give two shits about wrestling. No offense. I follow you because of the insults and just the way that you deal with some of the most antisocial people on the internet. So I applaud you. Somebody told me uh, that myself, my man, Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful, somebody said Cam and Sean don't realize how lonely some people are and they exploit that to their advantage. Fuck yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> you, you, you. I, there's this idea that uh, because you don't have, um, you know, because uh, you're Peter Quillen out here, and, and love might have been lost or never had, that that gives you some type of right to insult people and not get insulted back. I had to tell a young man who called me old that if his mother met me before she met his father, he wouldn't be here, and yeah. there's nothing he could say. <laughs> Like, what could he say? He was like, hey, you got a point there. So, yeah, um, no, but I think what's happening now, Jake, is I'm so, like, dedicated to being nice because I know what can happen if I'm mean to somebody that when I am mean to somebody, it's all coming out at it, once. Exactly. You, you you don't, you save up for the big punches. You're not just doing jabs because yeah. that's, you're out of that game. But sometimes someone says something so stupid, you need to imply that they eat their homework. <laughs> Bless her heart. Check out check out Cameron <laughs> Hawkins. This dude is a legend out here in these streets. Uh, his his work is second to none, and it's been a pleasure watching you grow, man. And looking forward to having you back on again at some Absolutely. point. It's a, it's always wonderful talking with you, bro. We're gonna try to get more uh, people who work in the MCU on you guys' show. So just be patient. Um, uh, thank you for the hookups so far. Oh man, it's 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 oh. like uh. I don't know if you saw Sam's name in the credits, but I sat there and stared and stared and stared. And as soon as they got the second unit, they said art direction, Samantha Avila. I was like, yeah. yes, this is so awesome. That's, and so, man, that's the home. That's the homie yeah. right there. You know, I would, 
Uh, Jake Christie, where can we follow you, my friend? You can follow me on Twitter at the Jake Christie. Listen to my other podcast, Love It for a Psych. Me and Andre Barrera watching the show Psych. Uh, rewatch. We're on we're season two now. Uh, love doing it. Love the show. And yeah, uh, AC, you're going to go through all the stuff of the show, and that's what I care about most. You take it away. Yes, sir. You can first, you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony Canton underscore three. Follow the show at MC University Pod. We do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash MC University Pod, where you can get our bonus content. I did uh, appear with Jake last week. We talked about all the stuff that happened in the last couple of months while I've been gone, including, yes, we addressed the Jonathan Major situation. Uh, if you want to get something on that, that's, you know, like legit and kind of, kind of gives you an inkling to what we really think about this. If he continues in the MCU, you'd probably want to listen to that because it's significant there. But in the meantime, next week, we will be doing a mailbag on Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, send in your questions, tweet us your questions. If you have voicemails, send it to the, the, uh, the email was at mcuniversitypodcast at gmail.com. Yes, and keep them under 90 seconds. Yes, 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 yes. Please, please, please do that. And uh, yeah, and just like I was saying with the Patreon, we also do a subscriber mailback that we do every month where our Patreon listeners and uh, supporters ask us different questions, which we, we love taking there as well. So in the meantime, for Cameron Hawkins and Jake Christie, I am Anthony Canton III. This has been Marvel Cinematic University, and we will talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.